The Brewery Adventures podcast is sponsored by Rivalry Brews. Get beer shipped directly to your door from RivalryBrews.com. Rivalry Brews is an Ohio-based small business, and their craft beer boxes are a great gift idea for the beer drinker in your life. I personally use and love their service because there's no better mail than beer mail. Featuring top Ohio breweries like Urban Artifact, Twin Oast, Saucy Brew Works, Great Lakes, Fretboard, Masthead, Fatheads, and more, Rivalry Brews ships beers to 41 states. Get $5 or $10 flat rate shipping on all 12 plus beer orders and use code MMA McKinney for 10% off your order at rivalrybrews.com. That's code MMA McKinney for 10% off your order at rivalrybrews.com. Welcome back to Brewery Adventures. On today's show, I'll discuss my recent trip to St. Louis to visit breweries. And joining me is St. Louis native Brian, better known to the internet as 314. We'll focus mainly on second shift brewing, but talk about the entire beer scene in St. Louis as a whole. So Brian, first time on the show. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Excited to finally join. (laughs) Yeah, so I had been planning, you know, of course, with everything uh, going on. I've been planning to go to St. Louis for a long, long time and, and had been kind of in discussions with you, uh, you know, over you know Twitter and things like that. And finally made the trip, uh, I guess almost three or four weeks ago now, but ended up hitting, I think we hit 11 breweries over the weekend. Um, and with, with your help, with your guidance, I think we got, uh, most of the, most of the, the heavy hitters there over, over the weekend, but, uh, thanks for being the, the great tour guide. And, and of course we met up at, at one at the brewery we're talking about today, but we also met up at, at first at Wellspent. So, um, yeah, yeah, you've definitely made some great choices while you were in town. I can say that for sure. <laughs> that you know, that makes it a lot easier when you do the amount of research that I was able to do, having you know planned this trip originally. I think like a year ago, but yeah. So, so I see you have a beer in front of you. I have a beer as well. I actually have a second shift beer. Um, what are you drinking tonight? actually have a uh, wannabe, which is a collab between Blackberry Farms and Second Shift. It's their base beer. The, um, it's actually inspired by their timeless beer, Orville. Um, it's brewed with Blackberry Farms. They use buckwheat, uh, I'm sorry, buckwheat honey instead of the traditional candy sugar. Uh, and I want to say that this Brett beer is probably, probably been sitting around for, I would say probably about 12 months. So it's definitely got a more unique uh, profile than it did when I first had it uh, last year. Interesting. That sounds great. Yeah, we get, I haven't ever been to Blackberry Farms, but we get some of their stuff up here in Ohio and, and I'm a really big fan of them. And of course, second shift, I'm actually drinking. I did a, a run tonight, so I'm always looking for light stuff after a run. I'm drinking Lucy Lager, which is, uh, I actually drank on my other podcast. Um, I picked up, I think it was a four pack or six pack, but, um, I think this is my last one. It's 3.9% alcohol, really light, easy drinking. Like after, you know, hot day in the summer, like when I sit back after a run, want something refreshing, it's exactly what I want. So, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, some, some of the beers with second shift and, and kind of their wide variety of beers, which is what made me a really big fan of them. But, but so they've been around, uh, I guess since 2010, um, they, they had a, an original location, Owner Steve Kreider started out as a home brewer, which I, I know we've heard that story many a time before. 
uh, and then roped his, his wife into opening up a brewery. Uh, and they opened up in 2010 and, and that makes them kind of, you know, they're, they're over a decade old now, which for a lot of breweries in the U S is, is, you know, they're kind of got some age on them at this point. Um, but kind of in a good, you know, in a good way, they, they were, you know, before I think the, the, the second kind of wave, like when I, I feel like a lot of the breweries really were, you know, starting out of, you know, warehouses and things like that. And, and, you know, people just, you know, wanting to do it to, you know, because they loved brewing beer, you definitely get that sense with second shift that they're in it for the beer mainly. I think beer first, probably community second. Um, but I definitely got that feeling when you went to their tap room, um, which, uh, is, is kind of in an industrial park. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's some big, beautiful tap rooms in St. Louis and, and, there's some all over the place, but they, there's something special about their, their tap room. I think it's something that's organic. What do you think that is that, that just makes that, you know, you get that different feeling when you go there. It's it, honestly, the best way I can describe it is it feels kind of like you're just hanging out in someone's garage. You're, you know, it, it, it's, it feels like home. It, it's not, it's not trying to be something overly, you know, fancy. It's not trying to pretend to put on, you know, a show just to, to make itself be something else. It's just organically grown and just, it's hard to really describe. It just has that unique feel. Yeah, I, I definitely got, I mean, they were probably first, probably second. I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I knew that I wanted to go to side project. Um, I'm a huge sour beer fan, especially barrel aged sours. And I know that's, basically all that they do. Um, so of course that was first on my list, but then second, very close second was second shift. Um, just because of the reputation that they, that they've built in, and, you know, not only St. Louis, but you know, all around the Midwest, um, they, I don't know if they still distribute to Kentucky, but I'd had some of their beers in Kentucky before. Um, they haven't made it as far as Ohio, but I'm, I'm like right over the river from Kentucky. So I've gotten some of their stuff from, from down there, but that's just the, you definitely get the feeling like that they, um, you know, they, they built something special. It's, I think a lot of the community and I think a lot of it too is not only, you know, Steve as a brewer, but then also Libby as a person and how she is very outspoken. I think she is, you know, huge, very big in the, the, um, the, uh, the kind of the cultural side of, of the brew, not just her brewery, but all the, all breweries. Like, I think she wants everyone to, you know, she wants breweries to be a, a good place for everybody to go to. And, um, she's very outspoken. She's a great follow on Twitter. If you ever, uh, if you ever need to follow uh, Libby Kreider on Twitter, um, but she's, you know, for, she wasn't afraid, especially during the pandemic. I think she wasn't afraid to share her fears, frustrations, and then moments of joy and gratitude. I think that one of the big things that I loved was she was sending care packages to first or not first responders, but, um, to, to nurses and doctors, um, that had some sort of connection. And that's just something that you didn't, you didn't see. And it was organic. It's not like they were doing it for publicity. They just did it because, Hey, we want to help out people that, that can, can use some help at this time. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, I'm trying to recall exactly when that started, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. They've taken a big interest in just supporting the community, supporting those that are helping to support others, which is, which is a big win for uh, pretty much any brewery or any business. That's really something that any business should strive for. I feel. Yeah. And um, let's talk about the tap room because that's always one of the big questions that I get when, you know, what, what's the tap, what's the experience like? So going into it, it's a very lot, like you go back through the industrial park and, and, you know, they have like the garage out front. And I think they actually have a, a house there where they live. Right. Yeah. So there's actually three buildings, the garage that there's actually a, it, it, at one point it was a front office, uh, but it's been converted into a, a home, uh, which allows essentially, you know, uh, it's pretty much uh them to be available to the, the brewery whenever possible. Um, and then you had the main brewery, which is actually kind of divided up into the tasting room. Uh, there's a front office. Uh, there was a little food service area uh, that shut down due to COVID. 
Um, I'm not sure if or when it'll be coming back. I, I saw some hints from Libby that a new food partner will be announced, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who it'll be. Um, but yeah, it's essentially a, a large open warehouse type facility. Um, the actual brewery is kind of separated off by a bunch of ke uh, kegs, um, and, I'm sorry, casks that are out there um, that are actually being used to store beer. So whenever you go, you might see something that you'll be drinking six months or a year later. Yeah. The thing that stuck out to me walking into the brewery was all of the barrels. They have a huge like wall of barrels and it's, and the big thing is they, you know, they do a lot of barrel aged and fooder aged beers. So you of course expect them to have, I mean, like they, it's not like a special, like one-off for them. That's what they do regularly, which is awesome. And we actually sat in their, I guess you can call it a beer garden. It's, it's their parking lot that they've transitioned into um, a beer garden, but we were, I mean, we got lucky. I know it had been like a hundred degrees a couple of days before we were there on the actual day we were there. I think it was like high seventies, low eighties, and just absolutely beautiful day for, for sitting outside and, and, and drinking some beer. So that's something I know that they've actually, they actually, I think ran into some trouble with that, with the, the liquor license. And, and um, I know that's probably a, a little bit of a sore subject, but I, it looks like it got all, it got sorted out, which is, is um, what you, you definitely want to see. Yeah. I I think uh, the, the issue that they ran into was the that when they were serving outside initially, uh, probably last summer and into the fall and probably part of the winter, um, the garage where they were actually serving from had a separate address. And wow. I guess from what I believe it, and I, I may be mistaken, I think the city gave them a heads up that the state was really cracking down on that. So they had to switch to a whole new system. And they did a wonderful job just kind of swiveling to ordering at the table and having someone bus out the beer from the main tap room. Uh, I believe that only lasted about a month before they decided to reopen the actual tap room in a limited capacity. And it just kind of grew from there. So, but yeah, I mean, throughout the whole pandemic, um, I, I would say that they really kind of led by example. Uh, most of the breweries locally, I don't want to say followed their lead, but um, we're all pretty much on par with kind of at least adhering to the model that kind of second shift set up. So it, it's been a very interesting 18 months, but it's, it's been a safe 18 months. I feel for the St. Louis beer scene. Yeah. And that's the, so adaptability I think has been huge and they've really been, I think a leader in, in that and, and the, you know, kind of the forefront. And that's the thing that I've told a lot of people that, that I know is that, you know, I very rarely go to a brewery and it's, you know, jam packed elbow to elbow. It's not like you're going to a club or even a, you know, most restaurants, like most of the time you're, you're there, there's plenty of room to spread out. Um, you know, you can not be close to other people, which I know a lot of people will enjoy that even after the pandemic, like they don't, and, and they enjoyed it before, like they wanted to have room to spread out. So that's the thing is, is breweries, I think in general have been, a, you know, of course, relative, relatively safe uh, place to go. Um, you know, if you feel like you have to go somewhere and, and go and, you know, most of them have, have patios or beer gardens and they've adapted to, if they don't, they've adapted to something like what second shift has done, which I thought was awesome. I mean, I'm, I'd, I would have rather sat, you know, where we were sitting on the, the beautiful day than sitting inside a, you know, a tap room, whether it was, you know, a pandemic going on or not. So I, I, I think that that's been something that, that turned, I think, turned into a positive for them. Yeah, the one thing I will say about the tap room, and it's typically during the fall that you'll see this, is uh, occasionally the garage doors will actually be open. It'll be a more open air atmosphere inside the tap room. Uh, so that's actually a unique kind of fun experience, too. So you can get a little bit of fresh air with the, you know, inside experience. Um, let's talk about, I think they call it's the... Uh, their membership club. I think it's called the Kreider Collective, um, which is interestingly not really a thing in Ohio. Like there's a couple of places that have it where you can buy, you know, a membership and you can get, um, you know, X amount of special beers at, you know, different various points during the year. But it seems like St. Louis, it's, it's really a thing. Like a lot of the breweries have it, which I didn't realize. And I know you were talking with, with some of the people that were with about, you know, this one's better than this one. And, and here's, you know, the different ones. I thought that's pretty unique. And, and that I think kind of is one of the things that sets 
St. Louis kind of aside from a lot of, a lot of beer cities um, is that there are so many, you know, membership clubs that you can be in, but really you kind of have to be a local to take advantage of that. Right. I mean, you can probably get some of the one-off beers, but I think to take full advantage and that makes it even, I think, special for, for locals like you that, you know, can really take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's several that have done kind of what Second Shift has been doing. Um, I know that Side Project has something. I just don't know enough about it. Um, I believe it's invite only. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's definitely something I know I don't spend enough money at Side Project. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it is a place that I like to go. It's just, you know, normally it's not the... You know, just grab a quick beer, well-spent, second shift, perennial. A lot of those are more on that level where I think side project is more of a, I would say, an experience. You go, you kind of enjoy. Uh, not to say you're not doing that with all, all the other breweries, but <clears throat> I think it's a, a little different experience. And it's not something that I, I do as frequently um, as I do with some of the others. <clears throat> but yeah, the the Kreider Collective is a, a great setup. It's one of the I don't want to say it's a simple, it's one of the more easily attainable membership clubs. I think it started at like $125 for a year. Um, It included six special release beers throughout the year. Um, You get first right of refusal for any other beer that's released. Um, VIP access to any of their events, which I'm hoping will be happening this year, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, and then there's also a membership beer that's released near the end of the year that takes, uh, I think last year there was some polls that went out kind of surveys and whatnot from collective members. And it was kind of a, a joint effort as far as how the beer was brewed. Um, and then, yeah, a glass that, you know, writer collective membership glass. So it's certainly a, a unique experience, um, just to kind of get that notification say, Hey, this is coming out. Uh, A lot of the time you'll see people sharing those beers locally, which is another great thing. Uh, So you don't have to always be a member. You just have to know someone. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely a great thing, but yeah, you do have to pick and choose because they can add up very quickly. Right. And uh, yeah. So I guess that leads very well into the beers. Um, They, have a, a handful, I guess, of like their core beers. Um, when I was there, I had had, a, I think one of the core beers, um, but then hadn't really had a lot of the other stuff. So I actually tried, um, the stuff that stuck out to me. The first beer that I got was, uh, called Bridget, which is a wild ale aged in, uh, fooders, very light, um, option. It's, it's, it's of course being, you know, a Brett beer, it's, it's pretty funky, but not overly funky. Like if you know a person that wants to try a Brett beer that, Hey, you want like a, I guess like a half step into that world of, of the wild funky beers. It's a perfect beer to, to start with. Um, uh, the, or I'm sorry, Katie is the beer that I was thinking Bridget and all the, the, the names Bridget, Katie, uh, Lucy. Uh, but yeah, Katie is the Brett beer The um, Bridget is technically a wild ale. I don't think it's technically a Brett beer, but that's the one that's like light and it's still funky. So it probably has, um, you know, some, some funk in that one as well too. So I had both of those. Um, I know that they have an IPA that I, uh, called art of neurosis, which is like your traditional West coast style. Uh, that one has, uh, Simcoe and Columbus. I really enjoyed, um, it's hard to find a, a really good session IPA. So I had little big hop when I was there. Um, that was a highly recommended beer. And then, um, my wife really enjoyed, um, it was called bless this mess, which is a golden ale. Uh, I guess the one she had was volume three golden ale with key lime, biscuit, malt, coriander, and vanilla. So she's really big into the fruit beers. I enjoy those as well, but that was, you know, we were sitting outside and those were perfect beers for like sitting outside, hanging out. I know that I know they do like some dark beers as well, but it's hard to drink dark beers in July. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Bless this mess is actually a unique series that they started probably right before the pandemic. And it started off with an almond joy stout, which was in my opinion, into that, that was still one of the best with the exception of uh, the peanut butter cup. Will it barrel aged beer? 
that was actually my my second favorite, but it was again a variation on a barrel aged. Uh, but yeah, they they do several different uh, variations of those. Uh, another good one that I haven't seen in a while and I'm hoping to see come back was their um, uniquely named Cash Grab, which was <laughs> their take at the milkshake style IPAs. Okay. And they've done several of those. They had one last year uh, that was like a strawberry lemonade that was just perfect for for summer. It was a it was a great beer, but uh, they, they've done a few that have been very unique that are really good. So um, a lot of collabs. They have uh, a lot of wonderful friends that they they tend to partner up with and do beers with. You'll typically see stuff from uh, Off Color. They always kind of do some type of a collab with Off Color out of Chicago. Uh, so yeah, it's they they definitely are not afraid to play around with their styles, but they have their base core beers, which are uh, probably some of my some of my favorites locally. Technical Ecstasy. I don't know if you had an opportunity to try that. That is a phenomenal uh, Czech Pilsner that should not be missed and probably deserves more attention than it actually gets. Yeah, I did not have that, but I had the. I ended up with the can of the Hellas, which I don't. I don't think you gave. I ended up somehow at the can of the Hellas, but uh, that was delicious, um, which is, it's fascinating to see a brewery that can do, you know, the, the crazy wild stuff and then still do those like technical, you know, traditional German styles and do them, not just do them, but do them on a really high level and beers that you're like, wow, this is, this is great. And it's a lager. Um, I, I'm a person who thinks that lagers are going to be kind of the net, hopefully are going to be the next uh, for you know, big thing in, in, in craft beer as people, you know, looking for lower ABV and, and stuff that really tastes good. But like, maybe that's where you get the, the Bud Light drinkers into craft beer is like, Hey, this is, you're used to this. You don't have to, you know, go crazy with this milkshake IPA or this sour. This is a similar style, but this is just made with really good high quality ingredients and not from a, you know, a macro brewery. Um, but the Hellas was delicious. The, I do have to give you a huge thanks because I ended up with two cans of their Otis, the bird Berliner vice. Um, the, I tried the peach and vanilla one first. It was fantastic. Um, one of the best beers I've had, I almost gave it a five on untapped, but I was like, eh, but I probably should have given it a five. It was that good. Um, and then we also had the golden berry and vanilla, which I guess I just don't know. I don't really eat, drink, eat enough golden berries to know what that's supposed to taste like, but that one was really good too. Um, and then they also have a, which I didn't have blueberry and vanilla one as well. That sounds fantastic, but the peach and vanilla one really stood out. That was fantastic. I'm trying to think, I, I know I probably had the blueberry, but I'm trying to remember. I don't recall that off the top of my head. So I'll need to go back and look and see if I actually, <laughs> you checked it in. Yeah, it was the if it was anywhere near as good as the peach, then I'm sure it was fantastic. And the goldenberry one was really good too. I just like I said, I don't know what a goldenberry is supposed to taste like, but <laughs> it tasted good. Um, yeah, so there uh, you mentioned Bridget. There was actually two. They did a uh, Bridget Fioa, and, and I probably butchered that. And sour soap. Uh, those were two unique. Uh, flavor or fruited variants that they did that were really kind of um, just kind of out of nowhere that really surprised me. They were very, uh, very unique, very tasty beers and um, definitely added a unique profile to it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to see. I think we're probably going to be getting back to, um, and actually I think we did have one of the um, some more seasonal beers that'll be coming up from them with uh, like cranberries and whatnot. So I, I believe there was a cranberry Bridget that was released a few weeks ago, or it's going to be released. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see that one. That one looks like it's rated pretty high. They have a, uh, looks like cherry pink guava. I mean, these all sound, I would drink any of these <laughs> apricot, blackberry, blood orange. Yeah. I mean, I'm in for any of those. That was yeah, probably, it, yeah. Bridget was, was probably the best beer that I had when I was there. Um, 
but then i mean all the beers were good and they're also different too i think that's the thing is that they it's not like hey we just you know we do one thing and, and we do it well they do a lot of things and do them really well it's they to have a brewery that can hit on every style that they do at least that i've tried is very rare you don't see that very often even with some of the best breweries like places that are known for ipas they try to bring out lagers and they're just like they're okay or places that are known for dark beers they bring out ipas or you know it's hard to to really be really good at everything and be good at a lot of things i had that conversation today of you know a brewery that has so many different brands and different things and it's like it's so hard to be and it's just like it ends up being everything is just okay nothing is great and second shift is definitely not that they do a lot of different styles and it's great but also they stick to hey we know you know we do bridget and we do very variants of that you know most of them hit we do you know otis the bird and we do variants of that so they they also you know keep it exciting and different with beers that you know and love um, if you're a person that goes there often. Yep, absolutely. They, they definitely keep it fresh, but they, they, they do have their base beers. So, uh, there's always something on tap that pretty much anybody would like, I think, I feel. Yeah. Let's talk about, so that was second shift. Um, they are located in the Hill. They were actually one of the closest breweries, um, to where I stayed and I kind of based it on that, but that whole area, we stayed in forest park Southeast. If you are going to go to St. Louis and you're traveling, that's a fantastic area to stay. And we were close to just about all the good brewery. Like there was only one or two places like Modern Brewery, which wasn't open, but they were like less than a mile away from us. Um, And then Narrow Gauge, we would have liked to go to, but that was kind of the one that was a little further out. But the furthest place we went was to Perennial, um, which was like 15 minutes away from where we were. Um, We went to... Like I mentioned, the first day we went to Second Shift and uh, Schlafly, which was if you want to see, um, go to two opposite ends of the spectrum of, of breweries. Those are, and it's interesting because they're both in, uh, what's that neighborhood called? Uh, um, yeah, Maplewood. Yeah, the, if you want to see two, op- like we went to Second Shift for uh, Side Project first um, and then went to Schlafly for dinner. And Schlafly is so, like they're, so different than what you get from side project, which is interesting. Schlafly has been around forever, right? Yeah. Schlafly was, I want to say mid nineties, um, which for the most part really was the only brewery until, uh, well, we had trailhead, which was out in St. Charles, but, uh, for the most part, our breweries really didn't start to kind of come on their own and, and start expanding since after the AB acquisition. Um, it was probably about 2008, 2010 is when most of the breweries started. Second Shift, Urban Chestnut, Four Hands. Um, I believe Second Shift actually opened up a few weeks before Four Hands. Uh, Urban Chestnut had another location that from the location in the Grove that's been around a little bit longer are actually probably around the same time. So, yeah, it's it's a unique beer scene that's really kind of started to bloom over the last 10 years. And I think now we're up to like 70 within the, the Metro area. Yeah. That's kind of in the same you know number that we're at. And it's interesting. I, I always, I think St. St. Louis and Cincinnati are similar in that we have a lot of breweries and people get, and all of them are successful. We have like a couple that are like, you know, the, that'll cycle through every once in a while, but we have, I think I was looking today, like 10 or 12 that are, like plan to open and they're all different and unique. And we're now getting to the point where a lot of the, the really good ones are getting their second and third locations. And we're seeing places open up in other areas and we're seeing other breweries from other towns open up in Cincinnati. So I, you haven't really seen as much of that in St. Louis, right? I know a couple of places have like two locations, but it's not like overwhelming, right? So Schlafly actually just acquired last year, uh, which was Trailhead Brewing in St. Charles. I think they were technically the second oldest brewery, uh, but the owners were retiring. So Schlafly stepped in, picked up the location, and now it's Schlafly Bankside. It's right along the Missouri River in St. Charles. Um, they also announced probably about three or four months ago that they're doing a location on on the Illinois side, probably about 
35, 40 minutes from, well, probably 35 minutes from downtown in Highland, Illinois. So there'll be four Schlafly locations. Uh, Perennial has two locations. Uh, Urban Chestnut has two locations. Um, if we go further out west, you have um, Good News Brewing, which has, I'm going to say two and a half. It's kind of weird to say because one of the locations kind of, is kind of split with, a, I believe it's a coffee shop. I haven't been to all of their locations, um, but they're, they're another one that has a few. And I've also heard that another good one is Petricor Brewing uh, in O'Fallon, Missouri. It's probably about 40 minutes west, 30 to 40 minutes west. Um, they're actually going to be opening up in Lake of the Ozarks, I believe, uh, a pretty oh, nice. massive distribution facility and, and tap room. I don't actually I don't know if it's going to be a tap room, but last time I was out there, they were saying they were scouting for another location. So, yeah, the we're starting to see our breweries expand locally and uh, I'll say regionally, even though that's a kind of a, a loose term because it's not like across the state. It's still outside of the, the St. Louis footprint a little bit. Yeah. And so that that's, I think, kind of the ne- uh, the next step for a lot of the breweries. So. I also went to, let me see if I can run these down off the top of my head. So Saturday we went to Urban Chestnut. We actually walked there. It was like two blocks away from our Airbnb. Um, massive place. I think it's called the Beer Beer Hall. Uh, they focus on like German styles. Um, we had like a, a Pilsner and um, I think I had a Czech Pils there. That was really good. They have a beer that they just did a collab with the St. Louis Zoo, which is in um, Forest Park. Uh, and then they had a, um, I think it's called the Herb, like a, a research R&D brewery across the street that they just closed. Um, then the second place we went to, we met up with you, which was not originally on my list. And thank you for recommending Well Spent. Um, I really loved Well Spent. It's kind of in, I don't even know, know what the neighborhood is, but um, it was it's in kind of a... a, a not there's not a doesn't seem to be a lot going on in the area um but well spent definitely was you know we were there on a saturday afternoon seemed to be doing pretty pretty well especially because they had center ice right down the street that was having their four-year anniversary party and and that place was packed um we went there but well spent um again is another one of those places it's i think newer like they've been open a few years but i went there and i'm like you you had told me like they do everything coconut right they do coconut everything. And so I, um, had to have a coconut beer. So I had a coconut stout 12% on like an 80 degree Saturday afternoon. And I'm like, I'm loving it. It was so good. And then I went and had the, uh, Keller pills, which was also fantastic. Um, they have a cool little spot there. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun spot. Uh, they've been, it's about actually coming up on was it four? Yeah, it's been four years. I think they just celebrated their fourth year. Um, so yeah, they've been doing some phenomenal stuff. I've actually been a fan since they've opened. So uh, Kyle and the rest of his team are, are doing a phenomenal job with pretty much everything they brew. Um, they're kind of like second shift. I don't think there's anything that they've brewed that is not up to probably the highest standards. Um, not saying every brewery doesn't do that, but uh, I think his go a little bit above and beyond uh, what most places are actually putting out. Um, and he just did a mead this probably about a month ago. I think it was available right after you left. Oh. And again, I'm usually a huge mead person because I, most of them are usually pretty, uh, pretty high uh, ABV, but it was phenomenal, really good. And he also did a seltzer, which actually just, uh, they just got uh just sold out of before I got there, uh, probably the day or so before. Um, but that's supposed to be coming back. And I'm anxious to see what he did with the seltzer because seltzers here in St. Louis, uh, forehands, I want to say kind of owns that market with their, their seltzers. So it'll be interesting to see what a, a smaller brewery can do. I thought that my wife had had a seltzer at well spent, but I guess not. Um, but yeah, we, um, Oh no, she had uh it was called on the bright side, hula and coconut, which is um a wheat beer with uh coconut, passion fruit, guava, and pineapple. That was great as well. Um it it was again, we were there in the afternoon. 
Um, then we went to center ice. We kind of were did an in and out there. We just wanted to, you know, check it out. It was, we didn't want to spend a ton of time there just because they were having their anniversary party. And, and, um, then we went to, uh, second shift with you. Um, then we went to, I think Rockwell, which was a, I think is also a newer place, right? They have a unique spot in that they're like a, they have a bunch of shipping containers that are like around the building, which I thought was interesting in that they have a building, but then also a bunch of shipping containers. I didn't really look up the story of the shipping containers. Do you know like what the significance of that is? Honestly, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, aside from just kind of standing out, um, cause they are, yeah, they are stacked on top of each other. I know part of them actually house the, the food service, which is actually really good. They do some phenomenal burgers and, and fries. It's, uh, from one of the local chefs, Gerard Kraft, and, um, he does his, uh, his stuff there. Um, so Rockwell's kind of get a really good partner for food. Um, but yeah, aside from offering a little bit of shade in, uh, a smaller tap room, um, the focus really there is on the patio. I think, uh, the tap room itself is, is you really kind of small in my opinion, uh, for something as large as, as Rockwell. So that, that is the one thing that I wish they would have expanded a little bit more was the inside. Um, cause we typically do have some pretty much like Cincinnati, some pretty, uh, brutal, like winter months, not, yeah. not all, but you know, January, February, March can sometimes be pretty bad. So, uh, patio season isn't always the best, but I think last <laughs> year through it. Yeah. And I actually had, so I had a, a dark lager there, um, called static, which I was kind of surprised to see a lager. And then my wife had. Um, a beer called Mikey Sunshine, which is a was a, a Berliner Weiss. I think it's just a straight Berliner Weiss with no like. It's hard to get like a Berliner Weiss that has like just a Berliner Weiss. They're all like, you know, fruited and and things like that. But we did so that was part of the reason that we made the decision to go there was because um, they had food, which was fantastic. And then we took our dog and and sat on the patio. And they actually have two different patio areas, like one in the front and then one one kind of to the side. Um, and as you mentioned, a smallish tap room, but a great like location to, to go and, and, um, and have dinner. Um, and then we went to heavy riff, which, um, was, you know, again, like we, that wasn't necessarily on our list originally, but I'm kind of glad we went there because, um, just a, a cool, unique location. They actually had a big, like kind of beer garden to the side of their location that like there was literally nobody inside of the brewery. Everybody was outside of the beer garden because it was, it was a nice night. Yeah. That, that is the one thing that I, I am going to miss after kind of post COVID. Um, and I, who knows, I, I'm not sure how many breweries are going to actually give up the, their newly formed outside patios. Um, Heavy Rift gave up probably about 10 parking spots to build a, a fairly decent sized patio or beer garden. Um, I, I certainly see them keeping that in some capacity. Same thing with second shift. Um, Center ice can't do anything like that because they share their, their patio or their parking. Uh, but yeah, it's breweries that didn't have a dedicated patio. I think we're going to see at least some patio be available post COVID, which, which is nice. So. Yeah. And then Sunday, um, we actually went to the city museum, which is awesome. If you are in, in St. Louis, it is a great kind of like still touristy, but not like the touristy stuff that everybody does. Um, and then we went to four hands, which was like not too far from there close to like Bush stadium, um, which was made it a little tough because there were people parking like right by the brewery to go to Bush stadium, um, and then getting like shuttled to the stadium. So we, had to park a little far away, but that's okay. Um, work for your yeah. beer, right? And Four Hands is awesome. They we had uh, lunch there, and then I had one of their seltzers. Um, I think it was like a bomb pop seltzer. Fantastic! Like for a brewery that's going to do a seltzer, you got to do it right. Right? It's tiny but sweet, but not like I've had some of them where I'm like, oh, this is like a sugar bomb. Theirs was not too bad. Um, but yeah, they they had like cans of of seltzer stacked, so you can tell like what they're what they're making their money on, right? 
Yeah, uh, Bomb Pop blew up for them. That that was just like a surprise hit of the summer. Um, they blew through the first batch, and um, I mean, I don't even think they had it out for I, barely a month, and it was just sold out everywhere. So they did a second batch, and um, I, I don't know how long it lasted, but um, I know some made its way up to Chicago. I know a few people had it up there. So yeah, you timed your trip right because you were able to try it, and uh, it's it's definitely a unique seltzer. I, I will get to that. Yeah, and then the last place we went to is Perennial, which I know just hit their ten year anniversary. Uh, we had like sours and and um, uh, like lighter stuff there as well, and. That's a, you know, kind of in, again, like a little out there, like that was the furthest one away that we went to. Um, but they just like, I think re they're still, I think in the process of redoing their tap room, but again, a large outdoor, like beer garden patio space. Um, so plenty of room, um, there, but yeah, that was a, um, and it didn't seem like, like we hit a lot of breweries, but it didn't seem like we were really going like a lot of them are pretty centrally located. Um, within like, you know, a few miles of each other. And that's one of the nice things I think is that you're not going like all over the city. Like I think in Cincinnati, that's one of the negative things is like some of the best places are in like vastly different areas of the city. So it's like hard to say, like, I would recommend this place, but then this place also because they're close, but they're not as good as this one. Like it's, you're, you're, you're getting a little bit more creative with, uh, with some of your, your recommended, uh, routes when you, when you come to Cincinnati. Yeah. I think my last trip to Cincinnati, uh, I, I kind of splurged on some of the Uber rides because it was all right. Staying, staying near the university, go to, I think it was three points at the time street side. Then you got to figure out, well, work my way up here to get over to urban artifact. It was, it was a unique, uh, it took a little bit of planning just to figure it out. So you weren't zigzagging back and forth. You kind of had to, had to work for your beer if you wanted to try a lot of the, the good places in Cincinnati, but yeah, there's always some great ones. And I, I do hope to get back up there sometime this year. Um, I'm still trying to decide what I'm doing in October, but um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Cincinnati will be on the list, but I think it's probably going to be Chicago, Madison and Milwaukee, but definitely want to get back to Cincinnati at some point sooner than later. Yeah. So, you know, St. Louis, what, uh, what, what excites you about the St. Louis beer scene? I think maybe like anything that's current or that you see like coming in the near future, what do you think is exciting? And like, if you're like playing tour guide of trying to get people to come to, to St. Louis, what would you say is like, here is what we have going on. Varieties, the, the key, um, we have so many different breweries that kind of just have their own little focus. Uh, Perennial brews a lot of stuff with Brett. Um, so that's a unique brewery. Uh, Earthbound is a total one-off that uh, I know you didn't have an opportunity to get there, but it definitely shouldn't be missed. Um, I think they're the only place in St. Louis that you could actually get a Gruet, um, which is really surprising. Um, they did a chicken and waffles beer, which was really fun. <laughs> not actually brewed with chicken or waffles, but it was brewed with spices and it's a, a unique beer. Um, they're not afraid to play around with, uh, with different styles. Uh, yeah, you have well spent who's, I would say doing the fruited beers, but they're not, they're not just doing the fruited beers. Um, six mile bridge is another good one that you weren't able to make it to that I would have recommended. Uh, narrow gauge when it comes to I, New England IPAs, narrow gauge is absolutely killing it. Um, so yeah, it's it's really unique to see kind of what areas or what breweries have already found their focus, and I, I'm anxious to see what other breweries will you know grow into over the next couple of years because I know there's a few that are really starting to to branch out. Six Mile Bridge is one that I think will probably be the next big brewery out of St. Louis, they just partnered with a uh, amazing chef and they're, I guess, technically it is a second location. It's just going to be a restaurant slash tap room. Uh, that's going to be really a, a unique concept. So um, I, I think they will probably be the next one that we probably hear a lot more from and they just do some phenomenal beers. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a unique scene. There's a lot of stuff going on. 
Um, I do think we're going to probably see a lot of other home brewers probably start to branch out. Not immediately due to COVID and all that. I think it's going to be kind of scary to open a business here, especially a brewery in the next, you know, few years. So I, I, I do think that once everything kind of gets back to normal, we'll start to see a little bit more of a, a rush on uh, expansions. Yeah. And that, you know, that's something I, I think that was a big selling point for me, as you mentioned, the variety um, that's, that was huge. Um, I think St. Louis is a, is a fun, like centrally located uh, beer trip. Um, if you are looking for a place like, like, and you know, everyone will ask you if you go to St. Louis, if you go to the Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser plant and you don't have to go there. Um, I went the last time I was in St. Louis and then didn't go to any other breweries. This is before I was really into breweries, but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a fun trip even without going to going on the, the Budweiser factory tour. Um, but if that's your thing, do that. And then also go to a bunch of other breweries and uh, yeah. I do recommend the trip. I know, I know a lot of people have a lot of hate for AB, um, but I definitely recommend the tour. I recommend doing one of the actual paid tours. Uh, the Brewmaster tour was actually a phenomenal tour that I've done several years ago uh and you actually get to go taste unfiltered budweiser you get various various tastes in the brewing process that you don't get in the regular and it is a unique experience you do get to kind of see the process and um yeah it's you get to taste the freshest budweiser ever uh because you're drinking it directly from the tank so yeah it's, it's definitely a unique experience it should be uh something that you know you should at least try but yeah, there's so many other great places to try beer that uh, I would not expect anybody to stick around at the the beer garden at AB, even though it's a nice little setup and their research pilot brewery does some pretty unique stuff that they bring to most beer festivals. Uh, and some of it's available at the, the beer garden. But yeah, there's so many other choices, so many other great places um, that it's just easily accessible that's another thing i mean like you said we're where you stayed you were probably within a five minute uh uber ride from most of the breweries in town so five to ten minutes you could get to probably 15 or so breweries which is is great yeah and i mean we were we were very close and we walked to one we could have walked to if modern was open, we definitely could have walked there. We could have walked to second shift too. I know you talked me out of it, but we could have walked there. Um, and, and, uh, even heavy riff would, would have been a little bit of a hike, but we could have walked there. It was about a mile and a half from where we were staying. And then, uh, I, I forgot to mention, we went to brew hub as well. Um, because like Sunday night where, you know, we were there Sunday night as well. And we we're looking for a place for dinner. And it was like one of the few places that was open. Um, a unique little spot that I think is like a cool concept. I would love to see it like continue to like evolve and, and to see what they're doing. They have like some stuff from cycle brewing in Florida and it's kind of like a Florida, like Florida transplanted um, brewery in St. Louis. And I think they brew the beer there. I actually had a sports beer that was, was pretty decent at, uh, at brew hub and, and the food was, was solid as well. So um, they were like really close to where we were. But that they were kind of in a, a weird, like they're like next to a hotel. Um, I think yeah. they get a lot of their business from like the the hotel traffic, right? And there, there's like school uh, school there. I think St. Louis yeah, SLU. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. They're absolutely in a weird little spot. I don't think that was really what they intended on when they started, because it was a. I believe it was actually. I think it was a former AB executive that that planned on building out the whole brew hub we'll say empire uh but yeah they had the brewery in florida there was plans on having one in west st louis i think they were planning on doing something in denver and the whole intent was contract brewing so breweries would come to them with their recipe they would brew it in in mass quantities and allow them to distri uh, distri uh, distribute the beer um Unfortunately, I think something fell through locally that they weren't able to get the agreement that they wanted in St. Louis. So they held off on the actual production facility and just opened the tap room, which 
allows us to get some unique beers that we don't normally get from St. Louis. Uh, Toppling Goliath is one. We get some of their stuff now. Um, I, I'm trying to think. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember any of the other breweries that they partner with. Cycle. Um, yeah. And then I think there was one out of, actually, out of, like, Hong Kong or something that they, they oh. brew for. And they had it there at one point. Uh, but they do occasionally brew some of their own beers. Um, it's just a unique, you know, place. They serve food. It's it's a different place. It's a different setup. Um, I, I, I Not knocking them, I do think they're a great addition. But uh, if you weren't able to make it, I don't think it would be that. You wouldn't have missed it. But, you know, it's definitely worth checking out if you can. Yeah. And uh, I think there's there's a lot of places in St. Louis worth checking out. So, Brian... Thank you so much for joining me. Let uh, let everybody know where they can find you on all the social medias. I know sometimes you 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 don't want to be found, but uh, let everyone know where we can find you and uh, and any anything that you have coming up, any projects, anything like that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at three one poor at three one poor and three one poor dot com. Slowly starting to build that out. Um, but yeah, just Twitter, social, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. This was the first episode of Brewery Adventures, I think, since uh, Memorial Day. So I made it almost the whole summer without doing an episode. But uh, we'll be back each week with a new episode uh, as we get into the fall and, uh, and things um, you know, get back to, uh, to normal, at least for me um with uh with with getting regular uh regular podcasts out and things like that if you have a brewery that you see if you go to mmamckinney.com and you want me to talk about one that i've i've been to um i've been to um, coming up on 400 and actually coming up on 200 just in ohio um i think joel geyer brewery travel is going to join me i think next week um we have a, an episode that we're that we've been planning he just hit over 700 and if you're thinking like he just hit over 600 like a couple months ago yeah he did so uh, he's been a busy guy so we have a lot to catch up with him he's now in baltimore but uh, that'll be next week's episode uh, thank you so much brewery adventures on instagram mmamckinney.com and we will be back next week with another episode